tell people this a lot when they want to transfer into supply chain. I said, if you like accountability, this is a role for you. If you really don't, don't come near it because it's very clear. There's, there's no, um, there's a lot, there could be a lot of explanation as to what happened, but the customer, it's about serving the customer. And if the customer doesn't have what they need, when they need it, at the cost they need it, that's you, right? That's me. And so if you like that, if you, if you like always trying to you know, strive for that, now I, I think everybody in supply chain can say they can live without the last two years. But that's, that, that aside, if you, if you get motivated and excited about that, it's a great place to be. You're listening to Transform Talks, the podcast about global supply chain transformation. I'm Maria Villablanca, co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, a fast-growing network of over 130,000 supply chain and manufacturing executives worldwide. Now on this show, I'm going to be interviewing and having conversations with some of the biggest names in supply chain and business, where we're going to be discussing topics around digitization, transformation, leadership, technology, business models, diversity, sustainability, and much, much more. Welcome back to Transform Talks. This week's guest is someone I've been wanting to have on the podcast since before the pandemic. Tanya Jackson is the Senior Vice President, Chief Product Delivery Officer at Lexmark, one of the leading providers of printing and imaging products. Tanya has been with Lexmark since its inception and has worked for the company for almost 40 years. During that time, she's held various management roles, including the job of Chief Supply Chain Officer. And in 2020, her role was expanded to include development and service delivery. Tony and I have interacted on several different occasions throughout the years, and I've always enjoyed those encounters. We share many of the same interests in this space, and I'm fascinated by her story, her leadership style, and her experiences on creating a resilient and responsive supply chain. So it's for these reasons that I'm so excited that we finally managed to get her on the show. During our conversation, Tanya and I discussed the key to her longevity at Lexmark, how she was able to leverage disruption to build a more resilient supply chain, and why the company brought together the product design and supply chain teams. I hope you enjoy. Hey, Tanya, welcome to the Transform Talks podcast. Hello, Maria. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm good, thanks very much. It's kind of cold here in England, and uh, uh, it's unusual as everyone else is tr- trying to go into spring or starting to go into spring. We've got like this massive cold snap, as I think the states has too recently. Yeah, we had a. I'm in. I'm located in Kentucky, in the United States, and we had a pretty tough uh, tornado-like tropical. I mean, there's a lot of storms over the over the past weekend. A lot of people without power. Uh, people are starting to come back up, but the weather now is pretty nice. All right, so I'm going to start with a question I like to ask a lot of people because I, you know, it's usually very interesting to get this kind of response. So how did you get into the world of supply chain? Great question. Uh, so as you know, I've been at Lexmark for 38 years now, if you include, include all of my years at Lexmark. And I actually started my career in research and development and spent many, several, several years there. And part of the uh, the development process that we have at Lexmark is to give people different opportunities, move across organizations, especially from a leadership perspective. And one of the things that um, we wanted to do was have somebody from research and development follow the product to operations, supply chain, and those kinds of things, right? Because you develop the product, um, which is 
all sorts of all sorts of challenges to make sure that you have a uh, the technology that you need, the, then the, the the product works, and then you hand it off to R and D. So you build, let's say, I don't know, hundreds, and then it goes to mass production. So one of the things we were trying to do was rotate both ways to have people from manufacturing come back into R and D to talk about design for manufacturability, but also have people from R and D follow the product. In essence, to see <laughs> what you had developed and how that you know how how that looks. So that was one of the reasons that I, I went over. And I'll, I'll be real honest, I, I had no idea the chaos I, I personally, not I'm not saying all R&D, but me personally was creating uh, to the supply chain based on what I had designed. And a lot of that was because of the sourcing, right? Because you, as you're developing a product, your goal is to make, make it work, right? And um, that was, Kind of, and, and you find the suppliers where you find the suppliers and you try to find an alternate, but maybe not. And so when I, when I, inherit, when I went over to try to build that product, it was, it was of course doable, but it wasn't, um, it was not ideal. It was one of the probably worst supply chains you can ever imagine that I personally had created. But I learned from it and I also had, the other, the other thing that was really good about the way we rotate people is first of all, it, it builds humility because I didn't understand what I was, you know, getting into, and and had to rely on a lot of people to to help me learn something completely new. But the other thing is, I came from a different background, so I had a different perspective of what the intention was of what I designed, <laughs> how it ended up. Maybe not, you know, there were other ways to do it, but so it, it kind of allowed me to have, let's say two languages. I was kind of bilingual, you know, between the R&D team and, and the uh, operations team. So once I came over, obviously the idea was to, to rotate around, but we just kept uh, the, the scope expanded and, and, and now we, we'll, we, we'll, we may talk about it, but we have a combined organization. But I ended up coming over to as a rotation and um, just enjoyed it. And, and now we've, we're in a different place, but uh, that, that's how I got here. But you know what, it's the common uh, answer that I get, not exactly like yours, but most people fall into supply chain. Most people didn't necessarily start their career in supply chain wanting to carry on. And they just stay because they love it or because they find it fascinating and they're still learning. I'm really impressed by the fact that a company like yours was so visionary in being able to create the kind of environment that breaks down silos. Ultimately, that's, that's what you're talking about here. Having silos in businesses is something I hear repetitively over and over again from companies today in 2023 still happening. Do you think that this kind of methodology or management style has been successful in helping the organization, well, A, helping the organization break down silos, and B, in keeping people like you there for so long? Yeah, for sure, Maria, you're right. The silos, uh, you, first of all, I don't think you can ever design an organization that won't have a silo, like it's, it's just there. It's up to the people to cross those silos and to make those, and to make them, what I like to call, you, you have to have an organization from a people management, from a, you know, your, your, your people management system, but you don't have to behave that way. You, you behave as, um, you, you move projects forward based on collaboration, regardless of where you are. So you can't design the perfect organization. There's always going to be some kind of break because it's just span of control or whatever it may be. Uh, so I think it's important. What, what we benefit from is when you do 
rotate across and it just helps you, uh, under, first of all, you know what goes on on the other silo. And the more important thing is you know why. I think many times silos are built up because another group is asking you to do something that you just, you think it's either a waste of your time, you don't understand why they need it, or and, and you think you could do something different not knowing what they need. But when you have the benefit of having worked in another area, the conversation is different. It might be, okay, I know what you need, but the way I can do it better if I do it this way. You're not coming from a, why do you need that at all? You're, you're coming from, I understand the request, but let me do it my way because this is the way, you know, it's better for, for this organization. So yeah, as part of my longevity at Lexmark, certainly it's been the opportunity to work in different areas. I've, I've worked in sustainability. I've worked in uh, a, a, experience, a user experience team. I've worked in, uh, like I said, R&D and supply chain, and that helps because people are just, people are different in, in different areas, and certainly the output or the um, the strategy and the objectives of those areas are different, and it's a restart every time. For me, I, I, I liken it to a, a initial period of um, inadequacy, right, because you, you knew what was going on over here, and now you're in a new place and you have no idea, but you really get to learn how to work through people because the people understand what they're doing and, and they understand what's important. And so it just helps your leadership development from that perspective because you're, you're actually leading an organization because you're not, you're not a subject matter expert. I, I love absolutely everything that you just said because the idea of, and, and going back to you designing something that in your mind and through your training and your experience made absolute sense, but when you actually put it into practical you know, into a practical way of doing it, it didn't make sense. It was actually harder. It could be doable, but it was harder. And I think that applies to so many aspects of business, so many aspects of supply chain, so many aspects of life, really, is to walk in someone else's shoes, right? You're exactly right. Is uh, You summed up what I was what I was babbling on about there. Yes, it gives you an opportunity to, when you move to another group, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I get it, because now you're walking in their shoes, and before you were saying, I have no idea why they do that or why they're asking this, and now you see it instantly. The difference, though, is if it's, it's not combative and it's not, it's like, okay, I, I understand it. Now I'm in this job. I get why they're asking it, but they don't know uh, they're asking it, but now I can do it in a very different way. It's brilliant, and, and the fact that you've been there so long at Lexmark actually shows uh, that this is something that challenges you. It creates, it creates, I think, people around you that are ha that have that growth mindset that are understand that they're not the finished article, understand that they're not the ultimate authority in how things are done, and understand that there's a challenge at every turn, and that challenge is an opportunity, right? So uh, I love that. Absolutely, it's the whole organization, right? There's not one group that drives everything. It, we're we're all a part of a, a you know a machine, right? And so when you can can see these different pieces and you, you, you appreciate uh, people in other organizations that may have nothing to do with your day to day, but you know what they're doing and how important it is. No, no, it makes complete sense. I want to talk about something that you said at the start as well, when you visited the supply chain arena, uh, those many years ago, you said that the supply chain is so much better now. It's so different now. Could you maybe walk us through what were the major changes? How did that work? What was that like, and what's the supply chain look like today? You know, when for us, uh, the I think we always had 
every intention, goal, strategy to you know de design for X, whether that's manufacturability, sourceability, cost, whatever it will be. There were always real clear, like this is where we want it to go. But there was a lot of conversation about how we get there and you know, is this the number one priority and all these kinds of things. And, and quite frankly, the pandemic just accelerated, just blew through all of that, right? And it was, first of all, pandemic was, let me be clear, it was survival, right? But as we were surviving, a, a, a really cool thing started to happen. People started to understand why we need to do some of these things. And the people who were in the middle of it were at the same time as surviving, they were actually developing, um, you know, real programs and processes around how never to be here again. And so I think the supply chain of today is really built on re more resiliency, not bulletproof, that's never gonna happen. But it, it's, <laughs> so if we, if we could agree on that, that's just never gonna happen. But, but it's a matter of let's build everything we can in place going into a, 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 an operation from a design perspective and then from a sourcing perspective and so that we know how we can you know, we we can we can turn here and do these kinds of things, and so we I think we we understand not just to react react, although sometimes you do, but it's more about how do you build the processes so that we do have dual sourcing uh, for real dual sourcing, not just um, two suppliers that their their supply chains intersect, and in fact you have single source right, but to tr tr to to make sure that you understand the visibility uh, that we have because I think supply chains in the past probably stopped ours anyway we stopped about tier two and you kind of lost visibility so what we learned is we need visibility all the way down to make sure of where, where we're sourcing from we work tightly with R&D R&D now designs multiple designs so that if this you're out you don't have this part you can switch to this design without a complete tear up and those kinds of things so I think we've just learned you know how to be more flexible expecting that something is going to be disrupted but when when we do get disrupted we come back stronger well you responded so resilience isn't just about being resilient it's about how you respond to crisis right and so you have a responsive supply chain essentially coupled you know it's r and d and supply chain working together it's ideal yes i agree i, I resiliency is about responding yes i mean it's, it, it it is about having a plan, you know, for response. I like to say plan B, plan C. Plan A is the one you want. Plan B and C may be, they may be bad, but that's because they're plan B and C. But you have one, right? And so you can, you can keep going. Now, I'm going to give a bit of backstory to our audience because this podcast is a couple years in the making. Uh, I remember I called you or I spoke with you, gosh, probably towards the beginning of the pandemic. And uh, you were, like you say, in crisis fighting mode. And it was, Maria? We're in the middle of something, in the middle of so much stuff. And, and Lexmark responded quite well, if I remember correctly. You guys were contributing to, you, you stopped making some of your prime materials and you were making other. You want to talk us through a little bit of what was going on during the time when I came knocking on your door and you were just like, what? Okay, thanks for bringing that back up. Yeah, I was, uh, it, was a rough, it was a rough couple of years and you're right, it was a focus kind of thing for me. Some of it was focused, some of it was mental, right? It's like, okay, you're in the battle, you're in the heat of things. And for me, I always want my team to know I'm in it with them, right? I'm not, I'm there with you. I can't do everything they do because they're fabulous, but, uh, but I'm there with them. So, you know, it, it hit us pretty hard. We're, we're an electronics business and we were, you know, hit like everybody else. And one of the first things I'm really uh, excited to say that we did was we really spent 
time on the digital side. We knew that we had to digitally see where everything was because uh, suppliers had no idea what was coming, but we could see in theory what was coming and how to direct traffic digitally. So we built a, a very uh, in-house in tool quickly uh, with, the, again, the, the help of, uh, of our R&D team because it was electronics that was killing us, right? And so uh, from that perspective, uh, we, we combined those two, those two groups really quickly together. And you're, you're gonna love this story. I love telling this story because we had a, um, two, of our best, uh, two of our best people design a system and um, my vice president of sourcing and I, we were so excited that we had the system. It was great, we could finally see, see things. So we brought a planner in to say, this is, we finally got, we have visibility, you can see the tools. And she looked at it and she said, this is great if you're gonna have these two people sitting beside me the whole time because I can't use it. I can't, they can use it, I can't use it. And so that was a situation where we thought we had a solution which wasn't usable to the person that needs to use it. And what those two, two guys said, the two gentlemen, they said, all right, let's sit here and let's, let's develop the user interface you need. They didn't get defensive about, you need to figure this out. They went right to, let's go solve problems. So with that um, tool in place, we, we really made a lot of progress in terms of having visibility to where our, our uh, bottlenecks were and start the engineering team saying, we're missing this, this, and this, we need a redesign here. We need options here. We need, um, you know, and, and then the whole vicious cycle started and just kind of continued for a long time. We did pretty well. We, 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 we for sure didn't have all the product that we needed. Uh, we did a lot of good work with the marketing team to develop what we call the hero product so that we could rationalize the, um, the offerings because we couldn't do everything. So it was a good collaboration with our digital side, with our marketing side, and then with the sales team, constant communication to tell them bad news. <laughs> we don't have this and this, but we do have, you know, this is what we have, this has changed, because it was constantly changing. So, and really the other part is just to keep the team motivated, because as you know, it was just one thing after another, it was crazy. Um, and so there was, there was just this feeling that every day was just something different. And no matter how hard you had, you'd solved 10 problems yesterday, but this morning, you know, five more hit. And just to keep people knowing that um, you're doing the best you can and control what you can control is what, I, is what you know, was my, my theme to the team. But the, the world is, you know, a little crazy. It's not, it's not in your control, but the things that we control, make sure we control them. Yeah, circle of influence and circle of concern. I love that word. You know, have you heard that? So if you draw a circle, there's, little circle inside these are the things that you can influence and then the big circle is these are the things that are that can concern you but you can't influence so you might be concerned about i don't know the elections or you might be concerned about deforestation what can you do what can you influence whereas the little circle inside is what you can influence and that's where you need to spend your time and there's gonna be stuff happening all the time and we're in a pretty volatile world i mean you're this isn't over right so covid might be Towards the end, but we've got geopolitical issues, supply issues, the war in Ukraine. Uh, we've got quite a number of things going on. What, what's your um, What's your focus right now, in terms of with your teams? So the focus we've um, I said a couple of things. We've well, during the crisis, the product development team continued developing new products, right? Because we were just trying to keep everything going. So the focus this year is really a, a, a renewed focus on new product introduction. 
uh, because now we have some stability in the in the base. So from the R and D side of the team, it's really let's move forward with our new products with the learnings from the crisis. So the designs are all uh, really about resiliency and making sure that we have great uh, a good sourcing strategy for the designs. And the operations is kind of a it's two twofold. One is a we don't like to say back to normal because there is no nor new normal and all that kind of stuff. But it is, I would say, the war rooms have we have dissolved the, the you know, daily meetings, all those kinds of things. But it's kind of getting uh, getting back to process improvement, I would say, instead of just you know trying to hold it together. And then what we put in place is what many people probably have put in place, what we call our resilience strategy. So that is to look at starts at the portfolio, like what are we what are we building, and then it goes to sourcing. And then the supply demand planning, the manufacturing, the distribution, and sustainability is kind of both tail ends of that. So you want to make sure you're designing a product that you can reuse, remanufacture, whatever that may be, uh, and really focusing there. And then the, the kind of the underneath that is the digital. How do we, we know what to do. We, we know how to design. We know how to manufacture. But how can we digitize faster? And what, what kind of where do we focus there first on digitizing? And how do those digital products help you improve your processes, which will therefore improve your teams? All of those things are interconnected. Um, I want to move the conversation a little bit because we're recording this episode the day before International Women's Day, right? And, which is an important thing. It's very, it's, you know, um, unfortunately, there are not enough women in senior level positions in the supply chain sector. Uh, but I bet you it's very different to how it was at the beginning. I mean, I remember being the only woman in the room many times. Uh, we're seeing more. What, what are the biggest hurdles you think that women have to overcome today, or what are the biggest opportunities for women in supply chain? You know, you're right. I think there's there's all that could there should and could always be more women in supply chain. But you're right; it is improving. And the thing that you you hit on is I think you're starting to see representation at at the highest level, and representation matters because it's, it's the you know if you can see somebody, uh, then you start to believe. And and that's a difficult concept for people to understand if if you're if you're a majority person, right? Because you're like, well, you can you can always do what you want to do, but it's different. It's a different feeling. So I I think the more women that we have in in leadership, then people entering the profession, they start to say, okay, sky's the limit. What is cool about supply chain is, and is that it is a chain, right? And so there's so many different aspects of that is in supply chain, whether it's logistics, planning, sourcing, manufacturing, that you can um, you can enter, as you said, not everybody enters into supply chain. You can enter anywhere. And if you really like it, you, you have the opportunity with the right mentoring, the right support to just go across that, that chain to find out what you like, still staying within the, within the, uh, the space. So it's, it's, a, it's a good feel for if you're not really sure where you, what you want to, I don't know, specialize in, then you have opportunities. And I think the challenge, the, the, when you, you asked about what is the opportunity, I think the opportunity is for all women uh, to, to, to mentor and to, um, to take on uh, another woman to, to, to give them, to, to expose them to those opportunities. And I can tell you, as a, I've worked here a long time, most of, I've, I don't think, I may have had one woman mentor my entire career. So there have been some fantastic men who have uh, lifted me up, pushed me, you know, pushed me through, baby believe, and all those kinds of things. So it's not to say that men cannot mentor, but your question specifically is about women and in, in, uh, in, 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 in what what we can do. It's a good field also for um, 
I think accountability is, I say this all the time, there's no hiding in supply chain. Either you have product or you don't. No matter what happened in the world, who cares? You either have it or you don't. And one of the challenges I think women sometimes have is uh, fitting in or trying to, you know, um, maybe the dynamics, you have to work to get into a group. In supply chain, while you, it's important, collaboration is extremely important, results are clear. Sometimes good, sometimes bad, but clear. <laughs> so I think for women to, to uh, um, show their accomplishments is easier because it, it's very, it's clear. And like accountability is one that, that I, say, I tell people this a lot when they want to transfer into supply chain. <laughs> I said, if you like accountability, this is a role for you. If you really don't, don't come near it because it's very clear. There's, there's no, um, there's a lot, there could be a lot of explanation as to what happened, but the customer, it's about serving the customer. And if the customer doesn't have what they need, when they need it, at the cost they need it, that's you, right? That's me. And so, and, and that, if you like, if you like that, if you, if you like always trying to, you know, strive for that, now, I think everybody in supply chain can say they can live without the last two years. But that's, that, that aside, if you, if you get motivated and excited about that, it's a great place to be. And I think it's a good place for women from that perspective. The collaboration that is, is required, I think women are very good at that. And I think there's an accountability aspect that allows women to just succinctly say, this is what I did without a lot of, you know, well, remember this, remember that. These are the results. Yeah, no, I hear you. Um, so we've come to the end of the show, but before I let you go, I want to ask you a question that I ask all of my guests now. That's the new thing I'm doing this year. And that is to ask you about a book that you might have read that, uh, whether it's a personal book, you know, or a business book, professional book that has made an impact on your life and why. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you two books, but one is just a, just a, uh, what do you call it? A uh, public service announcement. For my, I'm a grandmother this year. I have a first grandson ever. So one of the books that I love is, uh, is called The Very Hungry Caterpillar by Eric Carl. I read it to my kids. It's about a caterpillar that emerged into a, into a butterfly. So that's just a, a meaningful book to me. From a business side, I like um, it's Good to Great uh, with Jim. I think it's by Jim Collins. And the reason I like it, uh, Maria, is because about the, the piece that I cling to, I would say, that I, that I talk about is the people aspect. And that's my, make sure you have the right people on the bus and the people on the bus are in the right seats, that you put the people either where they are, you know, where their talent lies or where you think they need to, they, they can grow to. And if you have the right people, and, I, and I, I, I believe we have the right people in this organization and certainly the right people in, on, on the team that's been through so much, then the what it's whatever, like just, just bring it on. So I, I like the aspect of spending the time because you have to take time to figure out the right people and where they need to be. And I think that's a big part of how we survive because we, we had the right people, the, the world collapsed around us, but I think the people were in the right, we had the right people, they were in the right spot and they just knocked it out. So that, that's, um, that's kind of why I like that particular book. Thank you for answering that and uh, for giving us two books. I'm gonna go check check out the Caterpillar book for sure. I'm gonna check it out. There's probably a mess, a good message that you read to your kids and now your grandchild. So uh, thank you so much for being here, Tanya. I really enjoyed talking to you finally uh, on the podcast after after uh, that little pandemic thing that happened. 
but thank you for coming back to me after the pandemic because uh, I was not in a good, you know, mental place during the pandemic. <laughs> not many people were. It was hard to get anybody on the podcast. So I, I trust me, I know. Thank you so much, Tanya. Thanks for joining us on Triangle Talks. All right. Thank you. So that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. I do hope you gained some valuable insight from this week's episode. To stay up to date with the latest developments, be sure to follow us on LinkedIn at Transform Talks. Also, if you don't already follow me on LinkedIn, please do so now. I'm always keen to connect with supply chain and business leaders from around the world. You can find me by searching for Maria P. Villablanca. And if you're lucky, I may let you know what the P in my name stands for. In the meantime, wishing you a great week ahead. And as always, for those of you listening, I'll catch you at the next one.